Okay, if you guys would like to get ready for today, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And we're going to be going all the way till Genesis 7 1, or 7 5. Genesis 6 1 through Genesis 7 5. I'll pray first, then we'll begin. Oh God, I, I do believe that the words that are written here, preserved for us, are irreplaceable. And God, you mean for us even now to learn from them, and I pray that we will. We ask that you'll speak today, and that we can be listeners. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Curtis Zuloff has a story that he shares. Uh, he's upstairs today, so we can talk about him. Uh, of being at a large music festival, Creation Music Festival, and having really sweet shades. And being in the middle of a mosh pit, and I don't know why anyone would go in a mosh pit, but he was there. And was getting jostled, because that's what happens. And he lost his sunglasses. And you know, when you're in a mosh pit, that if you go down, you might not come back up. And so he obviously pushed some people and tried to find them, but he couldn't find them. They were very expensive sunglasses. And then he saw, he said, like three people up, he saw somebody with a shirt that on the back said, in a thousand years, will any of this matter? And he shares that story because he says immediately he went from like aggressively angry to... Yeah, you're right. In a thousand years, will any of this matter? And I think, I think that's a good question for us to ask, especially as we go into this, this generation of, of Noah. And before that, what is remembered from that time and what we can learn from it? It's remembered from that time and we can learn from it. And as we read, I want you to look for these two things especially. I want you to see that in this short passage of Scripture... The two things that it really focuses on is what the heroes were and what the relationships were and the effect that that had on the culture and their generation, right? What the heroes were and what the relationships were. And, and just for curiosity, I, I wanted to know really who are the heroes of our day. And of course, if you really want to know, you find who was most Googled last year. And it was astounding to me who was most Googled last year. And I'll just briefly run, like, t- top ten, right? Are you guys interested? Do, you wanna, do we want to go there? Okay, we're going to go there. Okay, so number ten, Ryan Dunn, who was a member of, uh, this word's probably never heard in church before, Jackass, which was a TV show, okay? And this TV show was people doing really crazy things, and he died last year, being intoxicated and driving 132 miles an hour and flipping his car. So he's number 10 Googled person in 2011. Number nine is Amy Winehouse, who died last year um, and was known very well, uh, more for her uh, substance abuse than her singing, I think. Number eight was Steve Jobs, um, who... Uh, did really, we can admit, really influenced our culture. Um, but if you read articles on him, he was a fairly ruthless person, right? Uh, and definitely one of the heroes of our culture. Charlie Sheen was at number seven, 
who uh, lost his role as the highest paid actor on television um, because he was too hard to work with, but does have this to his name, the fastest person to ever get 100 million followers on Twitter. So good job, Charlie Sheen. Number six is Selena Gomez, better known for being the girlfriend of Justin Bieber than her own acting or singing career. Number five is Casey Anthony. Right? If, you, from, if you remember Casey Anthony, she was on trial for three years for the, the possible manslaughter of a child, um, her daughter. Um, Nicki Minaj, a pop star at four. Number three, Lady Gaga. Number two, Kim Kardashian. Right, number one, of course, Justin Bieber, right, of course. Um, and, and this is, and I'm merely sharing this because when we go into Genesis 6, 1 through 7, 5, I, I want us to see the heroes and relationships and the influence they had on that culture and what led to the fall. Right? I really believe it's the heroes and the relationships that we see that led to the fall. Henry, Henry Skugel, uh, writing in the 1600s, wrote a book called The Life of God and the Soul of Man. He wrote in there, he says, the worth and excellency of a soul is measured by the object of its love. And, and I really agree with that. In the scripture, um, he was just kind of rephrasing, I think, the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this, when we're called to that, God is asking us to do something all comprehensive, Right? He's not asking us to do something that is optional, and if you maybe love something else with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, you're really okay. Right? I think it's the greatest commandment because that shapes us and that molds us. And so we also see that when we, when we enter this world of relationships and heroes. What do we love? <laughs> and how are we loving? Um, if you'd read with me, I'm just going to begin in verse 1, and I'm only going to go right now till verse 9. It says, When men began to increase in number on the earth... And the daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then, God, then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the Son of God went to the daughters of men and had children with them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth. Men and animals, creatures that move along the ground, the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So, what do we find here? This is a passage of scripture that I hoped I would never have to teach on because the Nephilim, right? I don't know if you guys remember the first time, you, maybe this is your first time hearing about them, but I remember the first time I read about them, I was probably like five years old, and my dad being a pastor, I, I figured he can answer and help me understand anything, but I asked him about the Nephilim, and, and, uh, and I remember his answer, and it was, it was just like, 
I, I didn't understand it. And, and honestly, it was until this week, studying for this passage, that, that I, f- I think I, um, I understand it. And that, that's a bold thing to say. But we're going to go there together um, in the scripture, and we're going to explain it. We're going to understand it and what it means. So we're dealing with two things here, the relationships, and primarily the relationships we're looking at, right, is the, between the sons of God and the daughters of men. Right? And the heroes we're looking at, um, referred to as the Nephilim, it says, were the heroes of old and the men of renown. So I'm immediately going to go into this question that is this probably on your minds. What are the Nephilim? Are they the strange hybrid that we find between angels and people that create this superhuman race called the Nephilim, um, performing mighty feats, uh, the demigods of old, maybe where we get our mythology from. That's oftentimes where people think like the Nephilim were probably, um, you know, when you read like Homer and all those things and you read the old mythology, maybe that's what they're talking about, these men of renown. Um, I don't think so, and this is, and we're going to go into this. So the reasons why people might assume that the Nephilim were a hybrid between angels and people, and if you're new to this church, or maybe you've never heard about this before, I understand if you're like, I think I need to go now, right? Because this is kind of a weird topic, right? But as we go into it, this is two reasons why people might assume that it's a hybrid. And this is why the first is that the text itself pairs them closely together, right? Because it talks about the Nephilim, and then it talks about, um, about the, the sons of God and the daughters of, of men. And, but I think in a closer reading, we don't see it actually pairing them, and we'll see that later. But the second one is in 1 Peter 3.20, Listen closely, it says, For Christ died for the sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Dun, dun, dun. Assuming... And this is, this is my own words. Assuming that the spirits referred to here were spirits that were angels who stepped out of their rightful place and were then the sons of God. So two reasons why I, I don't think this is the case. And, then, and, and I want you guys to really walk with me through this because, because this is where we see why the flood happened, okay? Um, reasons why that the Nephilim weren't this weird hybrid was first um, that if you read the passage there in Genesis 6, um, verse 4, it doesn't pair them, right? It says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards, right? So they, after the flood, they were also there. And when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and the children and had children by them. So while the sons of God were having children with the daughters of men, the Nephilim were also there, right? And then it gives a, a clear period. And it says, then they were the heroes of old and men of renown. And also in Matthew 22, 30, um, it says, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven who neither marry nor are given in marriage. 
marriage. And in Mark 12, it repeats the same thing over again. So the, the, the Nephilim couldn't have been this hybrid simply because angels don't marry and they can't be given in marriage. Does that make sense? Kind of a simple explanation. Point two, though, is in, in, in 1 Peter 3.20, it's an, I believe it's an incorrect assumption that the spirits referred to there are angels, and this is why. Well, partly because it doesn't call them angels, but that it's illustrating the gospel being preached during the time of, Moses, during the time of Noah, right? As it says that the spirit proclaimed the gospel even to those, right? And so that Jesus Christ, uh, this, the spirit of God through Noah, who in, in 2 Peter is called the preacher of righteousness, and in Hebrews eleven seven said, warn peoples of things not seen. Proclaim the gospel to these people that there was a hope coming and there was a salvation coming, but that they did not believe it. Right? And that's really important as we, as we look at this train throughout scripture of the gospel, of the good news being preached, right? Pointing to a time when a savior would come, a seed would come, and would liberate people. And, and to help you guys see this and just seal the deal on it, First Peter 1.10 says this. It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the glories to follow. So these prophets of old, right, who are filled with the Spirit of Christ, who are proclaiming his coming, right, it says they searched intently. They wanted to know what their salvation was going to look like. And it says, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that had now been told to you by those who had preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And this is the cool thing. It ends by saying this, even the angels long to look into these things. Right, so there's this clear distinction even there at the end that's drawn between the place of angels who were created as servants in heaven and on earth Right, that they can't leave that place of service. They can't just all of a sudden become humans. Right? It's not within their power to go, I just want to become human today. That sounds like a lot of fun. Right? So that would be out of their place, and they can't do that. And so the question, though, is, if, if that is our understanding, if the, if the Nephilim aren't that hybrid, then what are the Nephilim? Literally, the Nephilim, all, all it means in Hebrew is this. Giants. They were giants. And there's only twice in the whole Old Testament the word Nephilim is used. You guys are like, this is amazing history. Right? There's only twice. But follow me here. Follow me here. Right? In, in num- Numbers 13.33, it's used again. And it's, it's when the people of Israel are about to go into the promised land. And, and people from each tribe are sent to scout it out. And you have Joshua and Caleb and they come back and they have... And they're super excited, but the other guys weren't excited. You know why the other guys weren't excited? Because they saw the Nephilim in the country, right? And that's not saying they saw like this hybrid between angels. and No, they saw giants in the land. 
I mean, literally what it says about them is it says, the land we explored devours those things in it. All the people we saw were of great size. We saw Nephilim there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own, our own eyes, and we, looked, and we looked the same to them, right? And that, that's not encouraging when you see people of that size that you're trying to defeat. So the Nephilim are simply this, this giant people who are in the land at that time and heroes. And we're going to talk a little bit more about them later, but first we're, we're going to come back to this. So, so what in the world are the sons of God marrying the daughters of men? And understanding this, I think will help you hopefully see how important relationships are and also how incredible it is to be a child of God. So the reason that the sons of God is, well, the reason why it's easy to be misunderstood is because in the scripture, sons of God is used to refer to angels, but it's also used to refer to Christians, right? And it's also used to refer to Jesus, right? And so the so there can be some confusion there going, so, so what does that exactly mean? And literally what sons of God means, in Romans, Romans 8.14, it says, those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. Romans 8.14, those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. So what does it mean to be a son of God? It literally means someone who has led a life by the Spirit. And so what you find in this passage are, I believe, the descendants of Seth, right, that you get right there in the end of chapter four, who it says, when Seth was born, people again started calling out to God, right? So you have these, this group of people, and you have, you know, Enoch, you have Lamech, you have these people who are actually calling out to God and living lives who are, are pursuing him, right? But what happens? It says that these sons of God, it says literally, chose my pages keep getting blown around. That's why I'm fidgeting with my Bible a lot because we have these fans on. Just a, a side note. <laughs> it says literally here that they chose any, um, they married any of them they chose, right? And so these sons of God, literally it says went out and they just chose any woman they wanted, right? So rather than, so this is what we find here too, rather than going out and finding women who were also daughters of God, right? Women who were following Jesus, loving Jesus, walking after him, and they could raise a family who loved God together, right? That these sons of God are marrying any woman they choose, right? Any woman they choose. And this should not be hard for us to understand because we live in a time, we live in a culture where where relationships are seen as being, that we practice in our lives as though they are so important, but then we intellectualize them so trivially, right? And so it's like, well, it doesn't really matter if I marry somebody who's a Christian or not because, well, because, I mean, that's just, I just love them. I'm, I'm, I'm positive that was the rationalizing of this time, right? These men who, who had walked with God and had been led by the Spirit, and all of a sudden, it says they just, they just chose any woman they wanted. 
And so that's what we find here, that they're, they're misunderstanding, they're forgetting how precious it is to be a child of God, and they're just disregarding it, and they're, they're choosing to, to wed themselves to anyone they want. In Galatians 5, it says this, it says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Right? How great a love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason that the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Right? And this is, think about this in comparison to what we're finding in, in Genesis 6. The reason why the world didn't know him, us is because it didn't know Him. Right? And so I'm sure these sons of God were going out, going like, well, it doesn't make sense why, you know, why can't I marry them? Well, they, don't, they just don't understand who God is, and that's not a big deal, is it? <laughs> it's a huge deal. The reason that the world does not know us is that they do not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. So rather than walking in that purity, living in that life as a child of God, they disregarded it. So we have to find out in quick application, why is that so bad? Why would that lead to the flood? And the, the reason why is first looking at the Nephilim is that, that Nephilim not only means giant, but it means a certain kind of giant. Um, in the Old English, it means a feller, but that means nothing to us. So literally what it means is a bully or a tyrant. <laughs> right? So you have these Nephilim who are, are heroes, but they're tyrants literally ruthless men, and these giants influenced culture because they were revered by the people. Now, when God saw the world, and he saw the wickedness that had come, both from these relationships that were no longer centered around him, and these Nephilim, it says this, it says, now the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become and that every inclination of his heart was evil all the time. And then in verse 11, it says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. And I think that's the direct result of these Nephilim who literally are, are, these, are these champions of the people. Beware of who your champions are. Beware of Justin Bieber. No, right? Beware of who your champions are. Why? Because they have huge influence on the culture, right? We are, I mean, guys, we know this. We are a culture that is so led astray because of our champions, right? So led astray by our champions, and this, this culture that they had that was so full of violence should not be hard for, for us to understand when we think historically. Because consider, I mean, I mean I'm just going to give you two examples. Think of Stalin's Soviet Union, right? Where, where he, he killed, right, or people under him killed 20 million people, right? 
or Mao Zedong's uh, People's Republic of China where you saw 40 million people be killed, right? 40 million people. And they were champions of the people, right? Stalin and Mao, they were, they were heroes. Be aware of your heroes, right? I mean, I mean, consider the, the ways that we, we idolize, right? I mean, you saw actors or pop stars or whoever we idolize, where are they leading us? And I, and I believe this is, we get this brutality and no one's standing against it in Genesis 6. And the question then is, why did no one stand against this? And I think the reason why no one stood against this is because the sons of God married the daughters of men, right? And it, obviously it phrases it that way, and I'm sure there was daughters of God marrying sons of men. But, but there, was, there was no one to stand against them because when these relationships came together, there was no longer a being led by the Spirit and a standing against unrighteousness. But there was this moral laxity, Right? Well, if I'm not going to trust God on this part, why should I trust him with that part, right? And there was a, there was a laziness. And, and perhaps not everyone was killing their neighbor, right? But why does it pair these two things together? Because there was no one to stand for righteousness. And that's the warning, right? It says in Proverbs 31, you guys know this, right? Charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. But no longer were the sons of God treasuring women who feared the Lord, but they were chasing after charm, right? They were chasing after beauty. And there was no longer a treasuring of righteousness and what that meant. And that's huge. That is the downfall of a culture. And we're meant to see it in it and there was no one to stand against the tyranny. And so it's a stern warning. It's not merely a simple suggestion where it says in, in 2 Corinthians 6, do not be yoked together with an unbeliever for what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? Don't do that to yourself. So, what do we do? Well, we do have an example to cherish from that time. And that's the example of Moses, or Noah, who actually was no one's hero. Noah was referred to as this. In Second Peter, it says, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. In Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, Noah, when, war when warned about things not seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Right, so this man who was a preacher of righteousness, and it says warn people, and I, I literally believe that this is, this is Noah going around and telling people like, Guys, you don't know, like, don't follow the, I don't know if he said this, but right, don't follow the Nephilim, or whatever it was, he was going around saying, return to God, right, remember how he made us, he didn't make us just to, to live relationships built upon physical attraction, like, there's more for you than that, you want, you want more than that, you need more than that, and he was, he would plead with people, right, he would plead with people, and yet, yet no one cared, and no one listened to him. And I think that's what we find when we find Noah, who's a, who's a righteous man in this time, 
twice it says that he was a man who obeyed the commands of God. And literally, that's what set him apart. As a righteous person in this day, he was a man who obeyed the commands of God. And because of this, it says he was a blameless man. Now imagine this. Imagine you have a, a boss who asks you to do something and, and you don't do it, right? It could be something as simple as remember to put water in this every half hour and you don't do it, right? And the machine breaks and, right? and if the, the boss came back, what would he do? He'd say, well, well why, didn't you, why didn't you do that? I commanded you to do that. And in our culture, since we have very much a lack of authority, we'd probably be like, whatever. My boss doesn't know what he's talking about, even though the machine broke, right? <laughs> the reason why he was blameless is because there was nothing to put blame on him for, right? Because he was a man who heard the commands of God and he did them. But we are, I think we're out of such a, a lack to understand what righteousness means, even in this generation, because we have no sense of authority. Even this, even to the point of, I think, I think we oftentimes acknowledge Jesus as Savior, but we don't acknowledge him as having an authority, right? And so we're like, sure, God can save me, but then if he holds me accountable, he just can't do that. But Noah was a man who understood the commands of God and responded to them and obeyed them, and so he was a righteous man and he was a blameless man. It says he also walked with God. He walked with God like Enoch. He was a man who fellowshiped with God. And this fellowship was something that no one in his generation understood. Think about this. No one understood. And so oftentimes when you get asked by someone who's not a Christian, they'll ask you this question. They'll go, well, how do you know? How do you know there's a God? Right? And you're like, well, I mean, there's things I can show you. Which, And even if you do, oftentimes, right, I mean, it doesn't like, Stop their doubting. But think of Noah in this generation like we would even now try to explain what walking with God looked like. And sure, we could look, we could look to history and Noah could look to history too. He can be like, don't you remember when God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them? Right? Don't you remember what happened right? when, when Cain disregard the commands of God, right? And he offered just whatever to God. And then he went and killed his brother Abel. Remember what that happened, right? And he's pointing that stuff, but people didn't care, right? And so then he starts going, well, because when I, I walk with him, I love my family more, right? When I walk with him, I, man, I, I feel like I'm living with my eyes open, like I'm seeing what's right and what's wrong, and I can walk in that way. And, the, and you know what they're going to respond to him? They're going to respond the same thing they respond to you, which is this. I don't have that experience, so it can't be true. Right? Even if you point, so, so it doesn't matter whether you go to like the objectivity of, of history and go, well, look at the way God has been interacting, loving people, saving the world, doing cool things, <laughs> preserving his word. You can look at all those things and people will be like, whatever. Or you can look to the subject, subjective experience of what it means to walk with God, to be, to be guided by him, to have the Holy Spirit fill you and give you a conscience of what is right and wrong and be able to walk in that. Right? 
And so as, as Noah walked with God, imagine what that would be like for him in his day and age when no one believed in him. I think it would be something somewhat like in Chronicles of Narnia, and I think I've shared the story with you before, but this story made me weep when I was in my last year of, of college. And, uh, and there's this story in Prince Caspian where, where Lucy keeps seeing Aslan. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but Lucy keeps seeing Aslan, and she's like, look, there he is. And, and her, her brothers and sister says this, why would he show himself to you and not to us? We're not going to follow you. And, and so it comes to that night. Do you guys remember this part? It comes to that night, and everyone's asleep, and Lucy wakes up, and... And Aslan calls her, and he says, Lucy, even if no one else comes, you still need to follow me. And that was the call given to Noah. And that's the call given to you. Even if no one else comes, follow me. But, but do you give God that authority in your life? Do you obey his commands? Because honestly, the majority of people I talk to don't understand the flood because they don't give God any authority. And here at this church, we give him that authority, right? In Daniel, and we use this verse often, but it's so true, in Daniel, the book of Daniel, it says, God, you can do what you please with the powers of heaven and the powers of earth. No one can hold back your hand and say to him, what have you done? No one can say, well, God, what have you done and why have you done this? God can do what he pleases, And God can, oftentimes we give, him, we give him the power to have mercy, right? But not the power to have judgment. And, and this is where, when we enter this, this point of holy fear, going, God, yes, you can do what you please. We have to realize from this text that this was not a simple thing for God to do. Three times it talks about the bitterness in the heart of God over what he had to do. Literally, it says that it caused his heart pain. And so to the person who comes and wants to just shake his fist at the sky and say, God, you cannot judge me, will look at this and say, oh, God just wanted to start over because he made a mistake. But it wasn't God just going, I'm just going to start over. Right? It was God being filled with grief that even those who had been led by his spirit chose, right, the sons of God chose to marry whomever, right, and lose, literally, lose that sensitivity, right, because the marriage relationship, you know, isn't just physical. In 1 Corinthians 6, it talks about how it's very spiritual also. Right, the same God who it says later would so love the world that he would give his only son. God who so loved the world would let his own son die to save the world and, get this, close your eyes and get this with me, and would preach through Noah the righteousness that would be theirs in Jesus Christ if they waited and they trusted. I believe that, right? That's what it's talking about in, in 1 Peter 1 where it says, the prophets of old proclaimed faithfully through the Holy Spirit 
one that would come and said they didn't know exactly what it would look like and they knew that they were serving us, right, who would finally see it and not them. But he preached and he preached and, and literally it says there he gave them, he goes, I will give you 120 years. I will give you 120 years because your days are numbered. And so I believe for 120 years, Noah was preaching, right? He was, he was building an ark and he was preaching, Right? And people would come and be like, you are stupid, right? You're building a boat on dry ground. And he'd go, there's judgment coming because we have not obeyed the words of God. And they would mock him and ridicule him just like they will mock and ridicule you when you say with warning, Jesus is coming again. He came and brought salvation with him and he is coming again. He's coming again to bring both reward and judgment. And those that receive that word without faith go like this. They go, why would he judge me? They don't go, God, you can do whatever you want. You are are God. You, you You have authority to do whatever you please and you are holy, you can, you can judge me, right? And the Christian has to get to that point where they go, God, you can judge me, and you are right in judging me, right? But then those who come and, and, and claim the righteousness of Jesus, not because of anything they've done, because his grace, because he so loved the world that he sent his son, they claim that grace. There is a reward. And Jesus is, com- Jesus is coming again with that. So guys, I I believe there's so much comparison to draw between that time of, um, if you guys want to know the big word I used, antediluvian, it means before the deluge, before the flood, like antebellum means before the civil war, right? Literally before the flood, right, there's this, (laughs) there's a lack of honoring God's commands and following him as their hero. And there's a lack of honoring the way we were made to have relationships. And I'm not saying at all that we are at that place, but I'm saying we're dangerously close. And just to show you that, I I want you guys just to turn uh, with me to Matthew. And we're going to end with this. And and I hope you guys take this as, as both a huge hope but a huge warning. In Matthew 24, verses 37 through 39, it says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking marrying and given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Right, so oftentimes we can, we can read, right? Well, the Nephilim were crazy. They were just psychos, right? Or we can read like, well, <laughs> because it's so similar, <laughs> As the heroes that we worship, 
It's so similar the way we treat relationships. Right? Are you looking, if you are a single person, are you looking for someone who is a child of God? <laughs> or are you just looking for whomever you can choose? Right? Because up to the day they entered the ark, it said, it gives this very common, this very natural description of it. It says they were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage. It was just happening, right? Life was carrying on and Noah was preaching. He's like, guys, we can't forget, we can't forget that, that this all, this all isn't made for us alone. This isn't just, we aren't just made to exist and then die. We were made to be in relationship with him and he's calling us into relationship with him and, and to, rem- to remember, guys, remember what he's offering and how special it is to be someone who hears and can respond to that. So, I hope a couple things as we leave this. I hope that you don't think the Nephilim are crazy hybrids anymore. <laughs> I hope that that you see that the relationships you build are incredibly important. And I hope that, that you know that the person that you eventually marry or are married to, it matters that that relationship is built upon a faith in Jesus. It matters so much. So, so much. And I pray that you learn from this, that even if you are a preacher of righteousness in this generation and no one understands you not to give up hope, And if you are someone who has had righteousness preached to you, to not delay in receiving that righteousness, but to receive it. Because Jesus is returning, and for those who are waiting for him, it's going to be an absolutely beautiful thing. And it's not just like, it's going to be beautiful when he comes, like, it's going to be beautiful as you wait. <laughs> So, obey his commands and claim righteousness. And, and guys, we have such a cool opportunity here to be in community. Like, so when I know when I talk to you, you guys aren't like taking preaching of righteousness and like mocking me. Maybe some of you are, but, right? And not mocking me, but, but we can be a community and there's communities all over the world who are claiming that righteousness together. So we live in a really cool time where we can look forward to Jesus' return together. And I hope as we sing and we continue to worship that you guys will do that. And we learn increasingly as a church to be people that preach righteousness and really enjoy it together. Because it's so special. Pray with me. God, I can't, I can't imagine the times probably even Noah went through in those 120 years of preaching righteousness that he had questions. How could I be the only one? How could no one else get this? But God, your words are true and they were proved so incredibly painfully true um, in the flood. And I, and I pray that God, we can share your heart of pain and grief when violence and tyranny exists, <laughs> or when people we know slowly lose their eyes for you because they've chosen to love another.
God, I pray that being a child of you will be the most precious thing to us in the world. And that we'll just enjoy that. God, I pray that every time we think of Noah, we will think of the decisions that he had to make so continuously to live in a world that was continuously making decisions for wickedness. God, we'll be filled with faith and, and encouragement because of that. I pray, God, that we will give you authority over our lives today, that as we read your commands, we'll obey them. And we won't delay. God, just set them up gloriously before us, I pray. Make us amazed by them. So let's be excited to walk in them. I, I mean, I think the, the ark was such a crazy project, but, but it's such an amazing thing, God, that you brought together. And, and I, you say that you are doing great things among us. There's incredible things you have planned that if we walk in your way, we'll see. And we look forward to those things. Guys, pray your blessing over this people and pray that, that they'll walk from this moment forward with truth. Praise in Jesus' name, amen.